Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Camera guy Glenn was one of the other camera guys while we were doing the pod, and you could pick up that audio. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as I'm pulling into his parking spot, a big pickup truck parks right next to me, and I look over, and who is it? It's Rod Smith. Oh, wow. So we have a great chat. And then he says, All right, I've got to get back in the truck. Time to shave. Mm-hmm. As for being dirty, canines aren't the only culprits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to run for mayor or do something like that. Really, eh? You're going to do that? Well, he sounded very Canadian. Really, eh? Mm-hmm. Wolfgang Pucks, uh, what's he pocketing from that? I guess he's an Atlanta boy, so he's probably... Is he? Yeah. I'm he's thinking. watching that for free. He's an Austrian guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Atlanta born and raised. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he lives born there now. Born and raised. He li- I mean, he lives <laughs> in California. He lives in L.A. Oh. Mm-hmm. This, this will be the secret now. All your listeners will know that I haven't watched anything yet. And I <laughs> Go ahead. What a third period. Bob, your thoughts? You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Guys, great podcast. <laughs> Number one in Canada. Who wants to sponsor it? Dance. Dance. It's the weekend of a uh, week. And the week of February 11th. Hey, Valentine's Day is this week, so here's what you get your, your lover. You say... Listen to this podcast. There's your present. That's all you need. It's good for the environment. Yeah, you just introduce them to this podcast. And then they fall more in love with you. Is that what you're going to do for your lover? <laughs> That's right. You just took a, what, a five and a half, six hour uh, car ride with your lover. Any chance you guys listen to uh, the Jay and Dan podcast on the way down or on the way back? I lived it, so I don't need to listen. <laughs> But do you ever listen back to it? I actually did that last week. I listened to the first. I almost never do that. Yeah, the odd time I do. And I listened last week, the first half an hour. You know what? It's This is a pretty good podcast. Yeah. This is pretty good entertainment, I have to say. So, full disclosure, I don't usually listen to podcasts. Okay. But for a five and a half hour drive, I'm like, I need to listen to some podcasts. And since I lived my own, I did need to listen to it. So I listened to like... Uh, ones about murders and cults, and it's all very depressing. I'm like, give me some BPM music. Are you okay? I <laughs> know it's. Why don't you listen to like some lighter stuff? <laughs> Maybe Conan's podcast or no, something. No, all other podcasts are about murders and cults, except this one. Oh, this is the only one that's not about those things. This that's why this was so groundbreaking all those years ago. That's right. When we started this podcast, everyone was like, "When does the murdery stuff start?" But while listening to these podcasts. There's this one where these people flew to India to try find some. I'm like, where where are the budgets coming from on these podcasts? Because we have zero. We have one staff, one staff member. Yeah, Christoph. Staff, how are you, bud? <laughs> Terrific. Happy to be here. I mean, we always only had one. Well, I guess at Fox we had like six. Yeah, but that was at Fox every. For every job here at TSN where <laughs> one person does it, six people would do it down there. It doesn't mean they did it any better and down if, there. And if something happened and we needed to, to figure out where this person was or, or uh, solve a mystery, stuff's not going to India. We can't pay for that. Sure, we can. You know how? Olga. <laughs> she'll, she'll front the money. She's from Russia. Oh, right. Uh, but she's over there-ish. <laughs> So, so stuff. Yeah. You're going to India. Going to India. Love it. That sounds fun. Hey, just was texting with our good friend Ben Teller. Don't worry, Dan. He's not coming on the pod. Ah, I'm so happy. But uh, he he did tell me something kind of intriguing. I'd love to throw this out to our listeners if that's okay. Okay. So he said he's about to again. Dan's like, you know, what is he doing? What is his job? We still don't know. But what we do know is he gets to travel a lot with his job. And now he's about to go to Europe for six weeks, and he gets to choose his home base out of these four amazing cities. Are you ready? Okay. So I'd love to get the, the, the listeners' feedback. Have them, you know, maybe Danny Wright, our social media guy, can put this up on Twitter. It's a poll. Which city should Ben Teller spend six weeks in? Munich? Berlin? Paris or Amsterdam? Munich, Berlin, Paris, or Amsterdam? I have to say, 
all of those cities are amazing. You really can't make a wrong choice. But they're all very different. I'd go Amsterdam all day, every day. So that seems like an obvious answer, right? Like, who wouldn't want to live there? And it's so beautiful, and the people are so nice. They speak amazing English. But you could die. Like, there's a very, (laughs) very good chance that if you were in Amsterdam for six weeks, that I know for me, if I was there alone for six weeks, there's a probably a 78% chance that I'm dying there. I may die in Orno any day. That's so true, I don't but you really have a, I think you have a greater chance of dying <laughs> in Amsterdam. Paris would be really cool. Really expensive though, right? But I, I assume that they're footing the bill for him to stay and I assume they're giving him a per diem. So I, I don't let's take expense out of it. Okay. Paris would be good. And Berlin is cool. Munich you'd just be drinking beer. You'd come back kind of fat. So many questions. What is he doing? Why does he not to be in a not have to be in a specific city? I think I'm just a, a, a penis guy. Well, I think he. It's part of the job. You have to have some sort of home base, so he gets to choose out of because these are like big hubs. So maybe it's like okay, we need to be able to send you somewhere where it's easy to fly to or something. Wasn't he working for a gym or a yoga place or something? I. Stoff, do you remember what it was? It was something. Wasn't he undercover with the CIA or something to that extent? No, he was know. dating a girl that was undercover. Right, right. I'm sure he was. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, uh, whatever he's doing, he's doing it over in Europe. So, uh, yeah, Amsterdam seems like a good choice for him. I think the ladies are easy there. But he will not take advantage of everything the city has to offer. He'll be like, I had one beer. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's up to him, but at least the opportunity is there. <laughs> all, you know, the red light district, all that amazing art. That could be all Ben Tellers. Why don't you go over there with him? That no would chance. be a podcast. But in any of these cities, he's going to get swindled by someone for sure. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, he's probably going to end up, gosh, who knows. He'll go have, on. You know what? You know the movie Taken? That'll be Ben. He'll go on like four dates with someone, and then guess what, guys? I discovered she was a dog. <laughs> and then I discovered <laughs> I'm into dogs. <laughs> anyway, My have returned. that dog and I are now married. I married a Dutch dog. Her name, Dutch. At least I think it's a her. Still figuring everything out down there. <laughs> I'm so happy. So that's what Ben will do. <laughs> for sure in Amsterdam, there's like so, dog sex dens for sure. So the Westminster Dog Show is like, Ben's into that mm-hmm. right now. Ben's probably there, front row, just a massive boner. <laughs> he's wearing like khakis and he's got like pitching a tent. The judges are like, uh, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bijan Frise. It has changed my life. Okay. Do you know dog stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Not in in that way. Not as well as Ben does. Uh, I own a dog. So this came up in our show last night because the dog show started, and I guess a Bijan Freeze or Frise won last year. And I said Bijan Freeze, and the producer Tim said, no, it's Frise. I came off the set after the show, and everyone in our social media department said, no. You said it. I said it right. I don't think he did. I do think it's Frise. But let's send it out to Ben Teller. <laughs> ben? <laughs> I think I'm just a, a, a penis guy. <laughs> I've always heard Frise, but I don't know. May, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I don't even know what they look like. If there was a dog lineup, I could not pick out one of those dogs. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know what a Bichon Frise or Frise looks like at all. I have no no clue. I had mutts. I, I, they just were a dog. Yeah, just everything yeah they came from the pound oh speaking of uh stuff did a little uh, drop there producer tim drop um i tried to convince producer tim to do a story time taking it old school back to the original pod no chance even though he listens faithfully every week to this podcast mm-hmm. you'd think you'd uh, want to give back a little bit he's a big podcast guy he listens to all the murders and cults uh, we have a another new drop i believe and this is exciting. And uh, I, I, I personally think this is going to be one of our most popular drops ever. Here it is. 
Damn, damn, the dirty old man washed his face in the frying pan. He combed his hair with a leg of chair. Damn, damn, the dirty old man. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> damn, damn, the dirty old man. <laughs> Where did you find that? I, What's that from? I can't reveal my sources. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say it's uh, it's old. I don't know if you could tell by the audio quality. Got a uh, nice uh, tweet from Tom Strange Strange Ward. And he sounds said, made up. <laughs> said, I'm Tom Strange Ward. <laughs> That's. Doesn't sound like a really, yeah, strange ward. My family's English. The Said, strangers married the wards. Uh, pulled a TSN O'Toole this weekend and checked out of a hotel by just leaving the building without saying anything to anyone. It's exhilarating, and it's now how I leave hotels. It's very, very, <laughs> it's very rude to the staff of the hotel because they're trying to turn rooms over. So if you tell them you're leaving, they're like, great, okay, we're trying to check someone else in, we'll get that cleaned up, we'll get someone... You're making their life more difficult. Nah. They bang, just, uh... bang, the dirty old man. <laughs> uh, I had no... It's amazing because I've been traveling with you for almost 20 years, and I had no idea you did that until last year. <laughs> I guess I've never seen you check out before. Well, I was at a hotel this weekend, and I think they must have known I was leaving because I, I went to the desk and they had a sweater that I wanted. I bought a, <laughs> a hotel from the swe- uh, sweater. Whoa, wait, wait, wait! I don't understand. You, what do you mean? You, they must have known you were leaving because they said, "What room are you in?" And I said, um, five eighteen. And they said, "Yeah, that person's checked out." I'm like, "That's me. I'm not checked out." They said, "Well, you can't get back in your room." I'm like, "Well, my stuff's still in there." I said, "Can I? Can you just throw that sweater?" After I go try it on in the room, on my bill, she's like, okay, I'll give you, here's a card, I guess, and let me back in the room to get my stuff. And then I assume she knew I was leaving because she watched me leave. But they locked you out of your room? Because I was having breakfast. I'm like, I'm not carting my stuff down. They, my stuff can sit in my room for 20 minutes. Right, right. But they thought you had checked out. Yes. Well, why did they think that? Because it was past noon. <laughs> they, they just assume everyone's gone and yeah i like how you buried the lead on that story <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious okay all right so afternoon yeah the hotel i stayed in um was a former ymca <laughs> But but you you can attest to the fact that it's a nice hotel. Yeah, no, okay, I'm I'm laughing just because the way that sounded. <laughs> I know. But it's a very nice hotel. Well, and it's the epicenter of of hipsterdom. Yeah, in it, the United States, it's the Ace Hotel chain. They have them in New York, L.A., Portland, Seattle, New Orleans. And do they buy all old buildings or just generally? That's unique? exactly what they do. They oh. find an old building, they gut it. And then they hipsterfy it. I drove by three times. I'm like, there's no hotel here. <laughs> That's a post office or something. <laughs> Finally, I pull up. I'm like, do you know where a hotel is? He's like, right here. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. And uh, the wait staff, I understand, were pretty fascinating. Well, you mentioned the epicenter of uh, hipsterdom. Um. I counted at least four mullets. This wasn't uh, someone with just, like, long hair at the back, like hockey hair. This was shaved on the sides into a mullet where it would be on a Stranger Danger commercial. This is, yeah, this isn't like someone trying to be ironic. This isn't someone who had a mullet for the last 40 years and just (laughs) kept that hairstyle. They really want, this is what they feel looks good now. And every staff member, there was no dress code. Every staff member tried to top that, <laughs> the other person with a freakier outfit. 
I love it. One waiter was wearing bike shorts. <laughs> hey, what's the <laughs> f- are, are you sure it wasn't a courier who just no. wandered in? That's what I thought, but he was there all the time. <laughs> carrying things. Well, he's probably delivering packages and just <laughs> talking to people. No. Hey, it's old bike shorts, Jim. He's back at the Y. Another gentleman um, who served me breakfast, he was wearing a dress. Yep. It looked comfy. Maybe Ben will try that in Amsterdam. <laughs> a dress on, seems like it does seem like it would be comfy. But like a kilt. Well, it's perfect airflow. Yeah, but like a kilt, I feel like I would always wear it sans undies. Yeah, it was long. It was to the floor. Right. So you never wear underwear under that thing. And then you're just, everything's breathing the way it was meant to be. And the hipsters, <laughs> the hipsters not overjoyed to serve you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you, you pony up to the bar and you're like, can I get a drink? They're like, yeah, we are. <laughs> well, that's kind of the, I guess that's the detached nature of hipsterdom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you got to get to know them a little bit. But make a, a nice drink, I bet, at the Ace Hotel. Delicious, yep. Did you see, uh, I bet you Malkin was hanging around there. No, they were, uh, Penn's were out of town. Oh, they were on the road, yeah. Beautiful town, very odd layout, mm-hmm. built on the side of a hill around three rivers. So everywhere you go, you think you're going the, I'm like, I'm going the opposite way from my hotel. Mm-hmm. But eventually you get there. I, in my second book, I detailed how nearly uh, nearly killed my friend because we couldn't find an exit. Because the, the streets made no sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the GPS, turn it off. Mm, yeah, forget about yeah. that. Because you come up to an intersection and there's 47 options. And you're like, do I take that? But that one's going down. That one's going up. That one's going... Anyway. 47 options. <laughs> the Dan O'Toole story. I went to... Road per- trip. Permanti's Brothers? Permanti Brothers, yeah. The sandwiches with french fries in them. Yeah. Uh, so I went in and um, I met the real life Sailor Jerry. Not the uh, guy that the booze was named after, but I'm like, oh, I'll get a spice rum. I'm like, do you have Sailor Jerry? He goes, no. The only Sailor Jerry here is me. I'm like, well, he goes, yeah. I served in the Navy. My name's Jerry. And he had a tattoo of a I boat would on his arm. Turn around and run <laughs> out of there instantly. I would not engage with that guy. <laughs> now nah, he was for good. A second. I said, What do I get? He said, Get the capicola. <laughs> get the gabagool. <laughs> get the gabagool sandwich. And woke up today craving that sandwich. They are very tasty sandwiches. That's what uh, Pittsburgh's known for. I don't know food wise what else they're known for. Went to, went to the Andy Warhol Museum. And my, oh, I forgot to ask you about that. How was that? It was good. My lady friend always makes fun of the speed in which I go through museums. I'm like, I got it. The gist of it. You fly through. Yeah. And I don't blame you for that because is there anything more physically exhausting than walking in an art museum? <laughs> Why is it that that exhausts you physically? Isn't that true, though? Like you're in there for an hour and a half and all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to take a four-hour nap. <laughs> I don't know what it is about art museums. I like them, but the, I'm tired after them. <laughs> they take a lot out of me. It's a lot of looking. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> observing, taking it in, reflecting. But that's not something you're generally... He went, he went through a lot of phases. Yeah. Interesting guy. And is it known, because there's no writings about this there, but did he consume a lot of drugs? I don't... That's like, Actually, I'm not really sure... I and I don't think it was the like I don't think he was like a cocaine guy or anything. I think he no, might like I psychedelics. I don't even know if he did that stuff. He might have done like a lot of um, like poppers. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff, like amphetamines and things like that. That's my impression. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Hopefully, we get an Andy Warhol expert on. We should have uh, we should have like someone from a from the Andy Warhol Museum on the show. Just t- talk it out. And then maybe have that Sailor Jerry guy. <laughs> and then maybe have uh, bike shorts. Have oh. an all-Pittsburgh episode of the pod next week. Forgot to mention the valet at the Ace Hotel. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Permanti Brothers. Uh, he's like, eh. 
<laughs> like, what's that mean? He goes, yeah, I think it's overrated. All right. So I came back. I'm like, hey, I got right out of the car. I'm like, no. No, it is not. <laughs> it is rated perfectly. And he so said, you know what? Up. I'm going to go back. He said that. He said, he said oh, you know what? You've convinced me. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're changing the lives of Pittsburghians. <laughs> what's a person who lives in Pittsburgh? Pittsburghite? Pittsburghites? Nothing. Pittsburgher? Pittsburgher, yeah. I'm a Pittsburgher. Sid Crosby's a Pittsburgher. Gino Malkin's a Pittsburgher. And um, the drive to Pittsburgh from Toronto? Yeah, that seems too long. You cross the border, you see Buffalo, then you don't see anything until you get to Pittsburgh. I don't like the idea of it at all. Why don't you just fly that one? It's anything over four hours. Yeah, I might uh, reconsider that. Yeah, four hours. That seems reasonable. Actually, yeah. five hours to Montreal, I'm, that's my limit. Because that's an easy drive, right? 401, See, boom. I got, I've already trimmed an hour off that drive because I live on the Yeah, that's side. true. You're, you're practically there. <laughs> you're practically on the border of Quebec. Hey, uh, do we mention who our guest is going to be? I think uh, Stoff is giving him a shout right now. Canadian ski legend... Manny Osborne parody, uh, who broke his femur at the start of the year in training. We're going to talk to him about that. And selfishly, I'm having him on talk about that injury and also because I just started skiing. He's going to give me some tips, I hope. And you're like, uh, you're a natural. You, the first time you tried it, you just were whipping down the hill. I'm all in. And if you're buying skis, now's the time because uh, the guys at Sport Check said, we already got the summer stuff in. Perfect. Well, maybe Manny could get you a deal at Sport Check. I don't know, Manny. Do you get deals at Sport Check? <laughs> I don't think I do get deals at Sport Check. I feel like everyone on the Canadian ski team should get deals at Sport Check. I think you're totally right, actually. <laughs> I definitely agree. How many pairs of skis right now do you own? Oh, me personally, five, like six or seven, but. That's not a true count because uh, my serviceman who works for the ski company, he probably has another 40 to 50 kicking around that are my skis, but, um, you know, they can take back at any time. They're on loan. Okay, so did I get them fitted right? My skis today, they came up to my nose. Is that correct? I would would think so. You know... (laughs) I can't tell you uh, the exact height that they need to be for uh, public skiing, to be honest. <laughs> um, I know all these years trying to be elite at something, you lose the, uh, the uh, mediocre quality of, of your sport. Um, I think, Dan's definitely oh, holding up that sorry. side of it. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to say that you were uh, a medium-style skier. No, no, I've, I've skied once. Not, but. I've skied once, <laughs> oh, and that was last week. Oh, last week, where'd you go? A uh, little hill by the name of Brimacombe. <laughs> it's uh, it's a little bunny hill in uh, Ontario. you got to start somewhere, Manny. You know that. Okay, so so you're on a green run, and how'd you do? I didn't fall. No problem. You didn't fall once? No, the only problem I have is with uh, the part that you've mastered is the very steep portion at the start of a run where I'm, like, terrified. I'm like, if I start going down, I'm I'm dead. But I'm baffled by this. You didn't follow. You didn't fall once. Either, your first time skiing. That's like unheard of. Hmm. Are you like? Maybe you're a natural. Maybe you'll be a crazy Canuck. <laughs> Late yeah, life, I though. Mean, <laughs> Late I've, life. I've always thought that if you're not falling, you're not learning. But maybe I'm just not a natural either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got to get into your fall. Happened at the start of the year. You were training. Take us through this injury. Uh, it's been a nasty one. Uh, it happened at Lake Louise, and it was the first training run of the first run of this season. So um, I probably only got like 20 turns into my season this year, um, which is a lot of uh, which is a lot of uh, skiing and lead up of summer training and time at the gym for about 20 turns of a season. Mm. But it happened, and uh, I, I, you know what? I just went out a little too far on one turn. It's the first training run, and it was just a bit soft out there and fell over. Uh, no big deal, other than 
I was going just over 100 kilometers an hour, and there wasn't anywhere to fall. It was just the net. So uh, I hit the net and kind of tumbled through. I thought maybe I could ski up on it. I was trying to get the right angle. There, there are. It's a, it's called an A net, and it's it's attached to poles, and it's up like uh, pretty high, like 20, 30 feet up. So, and it's pretty pretty uh, stiff tension. So I thought, oh, if I can get the ski to grab, sometimes you can just ski up on the net, then you don't fall as hard. Uh, but by doing that um, and not having enough pressure to kind of get the ski going down the hill, um, I just went straight in with, with full weight on my skis. And when you have full weight on your skis, your bindings don't release. So I kind of tumbled with my skis into the net. And I was laying there, and I, I heard one of my coaches he yelled, Are you okay? And I was like, No, I totally know my <laughs> leg is broken. Really? And could you feel looked, the pain? Like, could you? was it... Was it devastating pain at the time? Um, right away, you're kind of like, I, as I was falling, I was like, oh, I've never had a broken leg, but I know that my leg is broken. And, you know, you keep falling, you're tumbling. And then I was like, well, you never know. And then I, I, I kind of reached for it, and I was like, oh, it hurts. So my leg must be broken. And then I looked down, and because my ski was still attached, it was pushing my leg to the ground, uh, but the rest of my my leg was moving off the ground, and I was like, "Oh, okay, so for sure, if it's this detached, it's got to be broken." Oh, so that's how I kind of knew it. The pain hadn't quite sunk in yet, but the uh, uh, it was just my tunnel suit kind of and my. Skin it was a visual it confirmation for you. Absolutely, you did not need to be a doctor <laughs> out there to know. <laughs> so when you when you start. And then you, you get into this crazy sport, and are you prepared for accidents? Do they tell you, are you supposed to let your body go limp? You said you were trying to, you were thinking as you're falling, as you're tumbling, what you're going to do. What are you supposed to do? Uh, in that situation, uh, I don't really know. Maybe just not fall, but the normally... Yeah, limp is the best. I mean, we always joke. Um, it's not really a joke, but we're like, you know, the safest way to fall is to get knocked out first. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. It's, you know, like in the world of concussions, maybe that's not the safest way anymore, but uh, generally your body and your limbs are, are okay. Uh, this was like me trying to get out of a fall. Sometimes you're falling down the hill at... at uh, high speeds and you try and stand up too early like just just go for the ride just go for a fall and you know we wear uh we wear these airbags now they've got a they've got an algorithm in it that's it's all these uh we wear a back brace and in the back brace are these air cartridges and it's super smart smarter than all of us and uh it's got an algorithm and it knows before you fall before you hit the ground and it actually uh blows the airbag around your torso, your ribs, around wow. your neck, and everything. And that's really helpful, um, other than for your lower extremities. But it's, uh, so you know, like, you're like, okay, if you're going for a tumble, like, you kind of know that if you just go limp, like, you don't have to worry so much about your ribs and your back as, as much anymore, because that's got an airbag wrapped around it. That sounds like something from the future. It does. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely is something from the future. It derived from MotoGP and then this company, Danese, that uh, most of the guys ski with. Uh, they they had it for MotoGP where when you left your bike, the airbag would explode. And they just used the algorithms and, and figured out uh, kind of the same technology for skiing because obviously there's, there's no machine to leave. Uh, but they could figure out, like, uh, with the G-forces and stuff just before you would hit the ground, and there's GPS and all that stuff in, in the airbag. And they, after every run you do all winter, they take that information that the, that the uh, airbag read and uh, they put it into the computer and they just get smarter and smarter every run. Now, man, you're going so fast down the hill. What's your top speed? Like, what do you hit? Uh, uh, depends 161 on the, is my top 160, speed. Oh, my God. So when you're going down, what's going through your head? Because I would just be saying, oh, f- oh, f- oh, f- Oh, f- uh, I can tell you that you definitely say that a lot of the time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I 
as a side note, I, I get more scared for guys to like do luge and stuff because we can always slow down. Like when you get scared, you slow down. You know, it's, it's not going to make you great and you're probably not going to have a career for that long. But if you wanted to slow down, you definitely could. You know, you can just put a little slide just, in. Just do a snowplow all the way down. Totally. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the, the part that gets me when, when we're going fast is how loud it is in your helmet. And that scares me. Like, once you get over 135, it's hard to think because it's so loud in your, in your helmet. And that's when you're kind of like, oh, f- I don't really want to do this. Or around the 150, 155, we don't have huge big tips like the tips that you were skiing on at, uh, um, at whatever hill you yeah, told Brimacom, me. Yep. Name. Yeah, it's his sorry. backyard, actually. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The, the tips you're skiing on in your backyard, we have like pretty, pretty low profile tips. And even then at that speed, the tips start lifting off. So when you want to dig the ski in to start a turn, it takes like that split second longer. And that always makes your, your heart skip a beat. You're like, oh no, I'm going to just fall. And then all of a sudden the skis jumped. And that's, that's, that's still, I've never really gotten over that feeling. Like that every time you like, you know, it's going to happen. And then when it happens, it always makes your heart skip a beat. Manny, you've been, uh, four Olympics you've competed in. Is that right? Yeah, four. Uh-huh. Uh, so well, let's go through the, the cities you did. Turin, Italy was your first and then Vancouver, of course. And then maybe the most, uh, exciting city in the world, <laughs> Sochi, Russia. And then, uh, you did uh, Pyeongchang. South Korea. So, out of all those experiences, uh, taking results out of it, just your your experience there, the 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 city, the people around you. Um, what was what was your favorite experience? I have to imagine because you are a North Vancouver guy that Vancouver was number one. Yeah, Vancouver uh, for sure was number one. Uh, when I made the Torino Olympic team, I was just kind of a young punk, like you know skiing because it was easier to pick up chicks if you skied fast, you know, like I didn't have that kind of moves. And I, I, I noticed that the guys that all skied fast seemed to go home with girls. And I thought, well, that's, that's something that I can probably aspire to do. And, uh, and it worked out. And all of a sudden I was like on an Olympic team. I thought, well, that's cool. But I, but I didn't really, uh, I, I didn't really get to experience the Olympics there. We just kind of came in uh, I made the team a couple races before because I was only uh, 19, I believe. There, I turned 20 at the, and you know, for ski racing, that's really young to be at an Olympic Games for in, in our sport. So, um, when I went to Vancouver, that was an experience uh, that that like I'll forever cherish. Uh, coming into it, I was like ranked fourth in the world, and I was skiing really well, and you know, I just everything about it was good. I guess the, the, probably the one thing that I screwed up on right away is that I, I think in the, we had a press conference when we first arrived and I was pretty nervous and we had just finished this training camp at Panorama and I came in and it was like, we were, we were tucked away and there was like nobody around. And then the first thing we hit this big press conference in Yale town and, and somebody said, do you think you can win? And I was like, yeah, obviously, I think I can win. And then it, that was like the front page of the newspaper the next day is that, like I said, uh, Manny Osborne Parody thinks he can win. And I was like, oh, I guess coming in as a like a dark horse. <laughs> that, that is, <laughs> Nothing wrong with being confident. <laughs> now, a question, it was, it was great. now, a question you've probably been asked before, why do you do it? Because we just mentioned your injury uh, the danger of the sport or is it a combination is it the adrenaline is it the uh, the community is it the the sport is it a collection of things or is there one thing that uh, stands out that makes you do it the most you know i i love so many aspects of skiing i love uh the community i love uh that it's a family sport i love that i was able to do it with my grandpa and my mom and i could share it with my daughter and uh I love skiing with my friends and the apres ski and that it's like a weekend thing that you go do and uh, so many people can do it with you and, and all of that. And um, that just stemmed into my ski racing. I mean, I'm, I'm a competitive guy, but I love the camaraderie with, with all the other athletes and, and the tour from stop to stop. And it's just, 
it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, like when I'm sitting in the hospital and I've got a broken leg or when I blew my knee or when you blow on your back or whatever it is with multiple injuries, I have so many buddies that come in that aren't ski racers that are like, oh, yeah, I broke my leg at this point or I blew my knee. And and you, you, you start thinking like, well, with my personality, I probably would have done all these or had all these injuries anyways because I would have left my office job and then, you know, mountain biked on the weekend and <laughs> wanted to be a pro mountain biker. But, you know, Monday to Friday or sorry, uh Saturday, Sunday, and uh, probably broken my leg as well. So, you know, maybe trying to excel at one sport has actually kept me safer in the long run. So, um, and, and you know, and getting to compete for your country while doing it. So I'm, I'm really not worried about the injuries at all. I feel like it comes par for the course, and it's uh, there's probably a lot of really good skiers that were better than me coming up uh, as I was a kid that were worried about injuries, and they quit. And they were giving, they, and they gave me the chance to be good. So, <laughs> so by me putting those fears aside, I, I got the opportunities. And I liked what you said, Manny. That you're so right. When I, I tell people to get into skiing, it's always the same thing. Especially if you have a family, it's the perfect family sport because when the kids are little, uh, it's it's such a fun sport, and everyone can do it together. And then when they become too cool to hang out with your parents. You can still be on the same hill together. You just meet for lunch or, or apres ski, as you as you mentioned. You can, you're still all kind of contained on the hill there, so that's what makes it a Honey, great Honey, Daddy sport. will be at the bar. Yeah, yeah, that's where <laughs> I'll go straight to. Hey, well, you know, I, I mean, we all grew up before cell phones. I mean, that's what you did. Like, yeah. I remember skiing. I, I couldn't, I couldn't walk to school, like elementary school, grade six, whatever, by myself. But for some reason, my mom at like eight fifteen on the weekend would drop me off at the bottom of the hill in Whistler and say, hey, see you at 3.30 at the bar. <laughs> and you're like, sweet. And, you know, the amount, the amount of tree wells my, my friends and I got stuck in or cliffs that we would jump or, like, just, just like the chaos. And then you just see your parents at the bar and they'd be three beers deep and they're like, how was your day? And you say, eh, it was okay, you know? <laughs> Um, describe the adrenaline or what you're feeling when you're at the top of the mountain, ready to start a run. Oh man, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. I think, uh, it's hard to describe because especially in downhill, it's, it's a culmination of the whole week, uh, trying to piece together, uh, your run and, and from, from your training runs and all the video work you've done and, just like how good your legs can feel after uh, the training and the travel to, to whatever location you're at. And then just being at the top and trying to be like 100% confident in your game plan because you only have a two minute execution. And because it's, it's a, it's a gravity given sport. It's like, that's, if you make one bad turn, you know, you can lose the whole race. So it's really just figuring out that fine line of, of, of tactics and grit and figuring out uh, what, wh- how much risk you want to take and where the risk is. And, and uh, you know, the, the, in the start, I, I've, you know, it depends. It totally depends. Uh, there's some races you're so confident and you can do no wrong, and then there's other races where, like, there's a 60-meter jump at the second gate and you really, just, like, you don't really want to do it. And you're just kind of talking yourself into the fact that that's a good idea. And, and, you know, everybody has a bad day at the office and this is just your bad day. And, and, uh, you know, you just kind of, you do whatever you can to kind of get through it, but always at the bottom, it was always fun. It was always worth it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a Bodie Miller once told me we're at the top of Kitspiel and I was, I was having a rough go. I was not that confident in, in the weather conditions or anything. And he just said, you know, you train your whole life every day in and out to try and be the best in the world. And finally you get a place that you could showcase that you really are that good. And I remember kind of taking that, uh, that saying by the balls and saying, Hey, listen, like this is, this is totally like the, the reason why I train and like just more so like having the purpose in training. So when, the races were there. You just had the confidence that this is going to be more fun than it is going to be treacherous. Um, you mentioned the mindset. Your teammate, Eric Gay, 
after seeing your accident in training, he retired. That's uh, yeah. how did, did he come and tell you that? Did you find this out after hearing interviews? Well, I I, I was on fentanyl and ketamine, so he could have told me, but I don't <laughs> think I I remember when I was up there flying with like purple elephants and stuff. Like maybe he came through, but he he definitely told me the next day when I was back back to it, but. He, I kind of had been sensing it. He was my roommate in Zermatt in Switzerland uh, like a month before, and then we were in Nakiska, and he was skiing well, but he just, he wasn't skiing with great intent, and, you know, it's got to be hard. He had a a newborn at home, and, you know, being injured is is a battle in itself, and we had Broderick Thompson, another teammate, go down the week before, and he had a nasty crash and blew his whole knee apart. And I think we were all kind of getting over that. And then uh, being at Nakiska for the first time, too, uh, David Poisson, uh, a French skier, last year he passed away there. So we were kind of dealing with those emotions, too. And and I think it was it was pretty tough, you know, when you've got four kids at home and you're nearing the end of your career and uh, – yeah, I think, I mean, I was definitely probably the crash that broke the camel's back. And um, I'm glad that, that if if he felt like that, he walked away. Um, he had always, you know, we had talks about there was a guy, Benny Reich, who was really good at skiing. And he trained the whole summer and then walked away after the first race. And there's been other athletes to do that. And, and I think, you know, it takes some time in the summer to really see if you have it or if you've kind of lost that fire because, you really need that that edge, whatever that je ne sais pas is, you know, like just to to actually be a dominant factor. And I mean, there's no point in doing this. I mean, at our age now, like we always say, if you're outside the top thirty in the world, there's just and you're over thirty, quit. And uh, if you're not going to win races, I mean, with a career like Eric's had, he doesn't want to be there. Right. Uh, before we let you go, we can't let you go without uh, asking about Lindsey Vaughn. Your thoughts on her retirement? Hey, I thought that was a pretty awesome run she had uh, at, uh, at World Champs. Uh, I didn't think she had it in her, and the fact that she did, I was like, I was jazzed. I was pumped. That's uh, it's pretty cool to see just how great of a competitor she is. And I mean, Axel and Spindle retired the day before, and also was on the podium with a second. And these two racers are like are phenomenons, and it's just cool to see that through thick and thin, they've been able to jump on the podium. And I think it, you know, it, it really inspires me as well. Like these injuries are, are, are tough. And I mean, everybody, I go to a restaurant and, and the waiter comes over all the time. Ah, oh, we're sorry to hear that your, your career ended because of your injury. And I'm like thinking, what? Like, what are you talking about? I'm, it's, it's probably the same like uh, waiter Dan had at the Ace Hotel in Pittsburgh. <laughs> he was very, was very mean when Dan ordered a drink. So I have a feeling. Oh, like... Dan, oh, yeah, well, that Ace Hotel. <laughs> I, remind me not to go there while being injured. You know, I don't need to be a heavy counter. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like Lindsay, what, you know, I think it's just she's, she's, she's a great competitor and she's done a lot for the sport and, uh, and, you know, I, I think uh, as far as ski racing goes, uh, with with gender equality, I mean, prize money is the same, and sponsorships are generally the same uh, on both circuits. And she's done a ton to promote the women's side, and I think it's uh, it's been really it's been really great to to see. Well, Manny, this has been a great chat. We're uh, we're glad you're uh, so positive, and that uh, we're going to see you back on the hill next season. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, hey, and on a side note, yep. my mom, when, after when, when I got out of the hospital, my mom was, like, helping unpack my bags. And uh, and I was like, thanks. You know, I'm, like, like just hurtled down. Like, I got hydromorphine drugs and whatever. And she went and threw out my downhill suit that was cut off me when I crashed. And I was like, Mom, you can't throw that out. Go get that out of the garbage. <laughs> like, this, this is something you can't throw out. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like... It's cut. It's got blood all over it. And I was like, yeah, but this is the downhill suit that made Eric Gay retire. <laughs> like, this is like, this is an iconic piece of clothing. Should be in a museum <laughs> Yeah, somewhere. frame it and give it to Eric. Absolutely. Like, here you go, Eric. Like, <laughs> as a reminder. Just in case he decides to come back, he can look at it. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Manny, we really appreciate it, buddy. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a good night. You too, Manny. Thank you. That's right. Manny Osborne parody, uh, Canadian uh, skiing legend. Um, I just uh, I can't understand the mindset standing at the top of the hill. And... I still can't believe you didn't fall coming down the hill. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, hey, uh, want to roll up the rim? Yeah, I was we just thinking have... that. We got, uh, well, you got uh, Timmy's for us, and uh, it's time to roll up the rim, and... Give me a rimmer, and that's it. <laughs> please Stop. play again. Stop, you got to roll yours up, too. Please rim again. I got to please play again. As well. we'll rim another day. What a guy. Seriously, you break your leg? He's very positive. That's he awesome. is. He's positive. He, not he's just that, though. I mean, he had a way more devastating injury in 2011. That's the crazy injury he had in France. And that's what I think he was talking about. You know, So he's obviously had a history of injuries mm-hmm. over his career. And you're right. The fact that he's just accepting the fact that injuries are part of his sport. And he was going to get injured at some point, And he's going to come back and compete again. Do you think the people at Tim Horton's... Um, question whether it was a good idea to do this rim promotion just because of the whole, you know, rimming com- connotation to it? Nah, I don't think they... That, that had to come up. Maybe it's an incentive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a very good point, Stoff. Um, Manny, Maybe that was part of the reason they did it. Manny mentioned apres skiing, so having beverages. There's no liquor license at the ski like Matt. Oh, you gotta get you gotta ski somewhere different then. That's no good. Or that's a whole. That's a part of the fun. That's skiing. You're, yeah, you could bring a flask, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. Why don't you just uh, have a case of beer hidden by the chairlift, <laughs> and then crack it Nothing open? Nothing to see here, guys. Guys, no big deal. Just gonna walk over here by the chairlift. <laughs> Whoop! Pop the beer. None for you. I'm Toolsy. I never fall down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh powder tomorrow because we're getting a snowstorm again in Toronto. Uh, and yes, I know. I said winter was over. I can't believe. Oh. I can't believe you said that. Since I said that, we've had like thirty-seven storms. I. That's your fault. There have been so many bus cancellations in the past three weeks, more than I ever had in my entire school career. Dan, where's Burl Creek? It's near Lake Simcoe. Have you ever been there? No. What's that? <clears throat> That's where the Rolling Stones are playing their only Canadian date, the Burl Creek Event Grounds. Stop. Have that, you been yeah. there? No, but I heard about this. I believe we're giving some tickets away on 1050. Well, I think it's a Bell Media thing. Like, Bell yep, Media yep. is the, the concert promoter. Was this in this. the Barry area, I believe? Or uh, yeah, Earl yeah. Medante, well, it I says think? Lake Simcoe. So, yes, very close to Barry. Yeah, yeah, very close. So, Toolsy will be there introducing the band on stage. So, I assume the Stones will stay in Toronto, then they're going to take them up by helicopter or something? No chance. They stay in Barrie at a rented cottage, and not a nice one. (laughs) Maybe I'll Airbnb my place to them. That's a good idea, Stuff. You should. You, Ronnie Wood, Charlie, hanging out, listening to jazz, Keith in the corner. Just wired on H. No, he's, back on the junk. He's off everything, isn't he? No, he's getting back on it because Canada, where Toronto's, where he was arrested back in like the seventies or early eighties, right? Uh, so, just only stands to reason that all his demons will come back to haunt him when he returns, and then Nick will just be hanging out with six or seven beautiful babes. Have going to be a great night at Stoffs. Have they played here since Sars stock? They, they must have. I don't know. Some at Sarstock. I saw him at uh, that desert trip. Oh, yeah, the uh, old cella. Old cella. Man, it was awesome. God, they were great. They were so good. I was shocked. I was like, I had such a good good advantage point. And I was also on ketamine at the time. (laughs) No, I wasn't. I've never done that stuff. Hey, uh, well, this has been a blast. What a great, uh, another great podcast. Again, the only podcast uh, on the iHeartRadio app and the Apple Podcast app that isn't about murder or bribery. Or cults. Or cults. The only one. I did find what Keith Richards got arrested for. Let's hear it. Uh, heroin possessions. Yeah, so get ready for that to happen again at Burl's Creek. <laughs> 22 grams of heroin. Yeah, that's nothing. 
How's he alive? I don't know. He does. He looks like he's dead. He does, but he keeps keeps going, man. He keeps going. And that's going to be you, Toolsy, at that age. People be like, yikes. Be like, <laughs> you. That's going to be me in three years. <laughs> uh, well, we better go talk to our good friend Mike Garofolo for the TV show. We should have him on the podcast sometime. Yes. Get into a little more in-depth discussion with him. He's Seen our his. NFL uh, reporter. Peter Schrager uh, is just... Uh, well, I think Peter would come on the podcast, but his, his stupid show, Good Morning Football, he has to get up at like 1 a.m. for it. <laughs> and he's got a kid, and I just, we're not in, uh, we're not in, it doesn't work out timing-wise. But I, I know I love, a lot of people would love to have him back on. I know we would. We'd love them. He hasn't been on in years, literally. Well, uh, since we left Fox, which is a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Seems like it was 10 years ago. It's only a year and a half. Hmm. Yeah, we should definitely have them on. And uh, we're working on some other fun stuff, so keep listening, and uh, we're going to say so long, folks. Press play on this. This is the only Valentine's gift you need to deliver this podcast. You're welcome. They're going home! This is the Jay and Dan Podcast.